Well, thank you, and thank you for the worship time. You did a great job of forgetting, and uh, uh, that was really nice. It kind of took me back to my early days as a believer. I was part of the Church of Christ non-instrumental, and so uh, we sang Acapulco all the time, and and it was a lot of fun. So, Actually, right over in Livingston, Montana. It's it's really kind of neat to be back here. Uh, When I was a kid, I actually lived over here at Four Corners, just a little ways uh, south of Belgrade, and uh, was there until I was four years old. And uh, the reason moved back to Montana or Indiana was my folks' divorce, but I'll get into that. Um, they sent me a, a, you know, pastors like to preach and we want to teach, and, and especially when it comes to teaching college kids, because we, we try to remember back to all the chapels that we went to when we were in Bible college, and we desperately try to remember if we remember any of the messages. And we realize that it's much like a meal. You don't necessarily remember the exact message, although you'll probably remember this one forever. Um, but it's more like a meal. You don't necessarily remember what you had to eat, but you knew that if you didn't eat, you wouldn't feel as strong as you do. So hopefully um, I'm going to be able to share something with you uh, with you from the Word that will be an encouragement to you. I did get an, an email from wonderful lady in the front office, and she said, um, you're, you're not teaching an exegetical message. And I was a little disappointed by that, uh, because that's just what we do. Uh, but she said, actually, we want you to share scripture, but we want you to share it in the context of telling what God has done in your life. And so I do have a scripture, and I'd like you to open your Bibles uh, to that passage. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this was about the third or fourth uh, scripture that I had in mind to share with you. But I, I was really, um, really struck with this one in the sense of both what it says and, and some of the implications for it and how it would directly apply to uh, a kind of a personal testimony that I'd like to share with you. About just, just let me, before I read this scripture, let me just say how grateful I am. It's an honor to be before you. I am so, I love college kids. I, I, uh, I have four daughters, and they are all 21, 23, 25, and, and just turned 28. And so I raised a bunch of you, you people, and, uh, and, and I loved it. I loved, uh, always had a great relationship with my girls. And, uh, and they, uh, my youngest graduates this May uh, from John Brown University in Salem Springs, and she graduates May 9th, and so my last payment is May 5th, or May 1st, and she uh, gets married May 10th. And so we're going down to Arkansas, that's where she was born and raised. And so we're done with college kids as of May 9th, and, 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 and I'm going to miss them being here. What I'm not going to miss is that, you know, monthly check that you write, you know, when, when you people are doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, and, uh, but I'm so proud to be in front of you today because I, whenever I see a group of young people like yourselves, I, I just get so excited about the potential of what God will do with the lives that are represented here. Um, and, and I hope as a result of me sharing a bit of my story and from the scripture that you will never underestimate what God can and will do in your lives. Um, because he is able, as Ephesians says, to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we can ask, think, or even imagine. And so I'm excited to be here today. Second Corinthians 4, Therefore, since we... Uh, since through God's mercy, I'm using the nearly inspired version, um, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. 
Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, setting it, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbeliever, of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves is your servants. For Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And, you know, we may read a little more if we get beyond that. Oh, one more verse, one more verse. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. One pastor I know uh, preached a message from that verse, and he, and he titled the message, God Uses Crack Pots. <laughs> I kind of like that. He can use a crack pot if it's clean, if it's clean. And God has chosen in his wisdom and in his mercy to use broken people as the, the messengers of his glory. And I say that because most testimonies tend to become or, or they have the danger of becoming kind of bragamonies about this is how much sin I was in and, and now God saved me. But sometimes the way they tell it, it's almost like they still want to be back in that sin so they could tell people how good God is. And, 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 and I know this seems like a strange passage to read when you're given a testimony because you say, didn't you just read in there that we don't preach ourselves but Christ Jesus? Yes, but he says and ourselves as your servants. If we, if we share our story, and in me sharing some of the things that happened to me and some of my experiences, it's not a desire for me to preach uh, myself and not Christ. It's a desire to show you that God can use somebody that is broken, somebody that was messed up, somebody that grew up in the same state that you're living in now, and, and, and God's able to do something with a life. If we're willing to commit to Him and and give everything we have to Him, and really just walk in simple obedience. Because uh, a truth is, is, is sometimes God uses us even when we're still a bit selfish. Um, I, I, I'm not trying, to, um, not trying to discourage you at all, but the reality is, is there's no pastor, there's no preacher, there's no teacher that, that, that is perfect. These guys all still struggle with sin. And if they're anything like me, they're still struggling with the sins that they wrestled with when they were 13 years old. You know, they, the, the, the wrestle we have with our flesh and, and with our sin nature is a battle that's going to go on forever. And some days we're doing better than others, and other days we're doing just, we're, we're having one of those no good, terrible, really awful, rotten days. And yet, through all of that, God still is able to use us. And, and part of that doesn't click because we read some passages that say things like, who can stand on my holy hill and who can serve me? He whose heart's pure and it has all these great passages admonishing us to be holy as he is holy and to live righteous and to be pure. But, but there's many days when I stand up and serve him that, that, I'm, that I'm not so pure. I'm struggling with the very sin that I'm preaching to all of them about. In fact, I would suggest this. Whenever you see a preacher's neck veins popping out and he's really peeved about something, it's, it's tikeo in Greek. He's really ticked off. That's, 
That's a joke. Okay. Um, when, when, when he's really mad about something, he's really bearing down on you, there's a real strong chance as you're seeing a window into his heart, and that's really his sin that he struggles with. And the reason he's mad at you and telling you're all going to hell because of it is, is not because he's merely mad at you. He's actually mad at himself because he's still fighting with this sin. He's been fighting with it for 30 years. And, and, and so I just want to encourage you today that God can use you, and he will use you. Now, just for the sake of the preaching students that always come to chapel so they have something to preach someday when they actually get out on their own, um, a couple things in this passage that I'd like to point out real quick. If those that God uses, they must, they must be humble. Therefore, it's through God's mercy that we have this ministry. It's really the, the call of God that makes somebody a servant of God. It's not, it's not their qualifications because... In sharing my story, I was probably the least qualified of anybody to ever be a pastor. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My home was quite broken. Um, I, I oftentimes say we were happy pagans. <laughs> we, my dad was uh, a very strict type. Did anybody have one of those dads? You know, you wanted to rebel, but you couldn't. <laughs> you weren't allowed to. You know, uh, I, I really did want to rebel. And, and but, but dad kept us in line. But that, that happened as long as dad was around. And when dad was not around, we were as bad as we could get away with. Okay, and so, and we had no moral compass. I know you're laughing. You're you're guilty. You can always tell the guilty ones. You know, we had zero moral compass. We didn't know. My, my mom would send us to VBS and to vacation Bible school in the summer, but literally that was just to get us out of the house so she could have some peace. Because I had two brothers, two stepbrothers, a sister and a stepsister, and two half brothers, and we had a big bunch. You know, and. We were all godless, and so we all, when we were all together, got in a lot of trouble together. And so they, they would send us off to VBS, and that was in the 70s when you would go to VBS, and for the craft, you would make an ashtray, you know, with, with praying hands to hold the cigarette. I, you know. Jim knows. He knows. He, 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 he still got yours. Yeah. Are you using it still? That, all right, there we go. So. You know, so she would send us on this joy bus just to get us out so she could have a little bit of peace and joy in her life. And so, so the exposure we had to the gospel, yeah, that was God planting seeds in our lives. But it wasn't until March 27, 1977, when you said that date, it triggered me. That's when I gave my life to Christ. Uh, I was in Garrett, Indiana at the time. My parents uh, divorced when I was four. That's why we moved back to Indiana, was where my mom was from. And... Um, and I grew up in a broken home, and our house was a mess. And uh, my dad and my stepmom, they to say they didn't get along, they, they really spent a lot of time before that, you know, because he divorced his first wife, my mom. And, and so he gave a whole 30 days to really carefully contemplate his next marriage. And literally, my, my mom will remind me every now and then that he was married 30 days after their divorce came out in the paper. And so he remarried, and he remarried this real ball of fire. She was about four foot nothing, and, uh, but she was not afraid of anything or anybody. And boy, did they ever have some horrific knockdown fights. I mean, they would just go at each other screaming and, and fussing, and, and, and she would... She was just not afraid of him. And dad was my size, and so she'd be right up in his face, like, go ahead and hit me. I know you want to, you know. And even after a while, his kids were going, dad, she's kind of asking for it. Go ahead. And, uh, you know, and, and every now and then they did. They'd have these horrific battles, 
And, and we, I laugh about it now, but it's just to keep from crying because the dad had broken his ankle and he was home and had a cast and he was in crutch and he couldn't go to work. So he decided that during his time off, he should rearrange mom's kitchen for her, my stepmom. Yeah, you can imagine how well that went over. And so the, the, it just got steadily louder and louder and louder. And then the, the physical altercation uh, occurred. She was screaming at him to hit her, and he did. And then, and then I don't, you know, a lot of it I kind of tried to block out. But then I remember Dad stomping through the house with his broken leg and cast and everything. And he's stomping through, and this skillet flies by his head. Ka-thunk, <laughs> and it sticks into the... Back in the 70s, everything was paneled, and so it stuck in the panel wall and kind of vibrated. And he turned around and walked out the door, stomped down the stairs, and she ran out the door and jumped on his back and was hitting on it. He grabbed her by the hair and just went kawomp and laid her right there in the driveway. And my stepsister came out the door and jumped on his back and, you leave my mom alone. He grabbed her by the hair, kawomp right next to her mom, you know. And then he, he gets in the truck and he peels out of there and throwing rocks and gravel at all of us and, and, and uh, you know, even now when I think back to that, look at my hands. I mean, I think back when I was, and us four little Foley kids were sitting in a sandbox, just bawling our eyes out, saying, Mom, please come, please come. And it was Sunday afternoon. That was our Sunday. It wasn't a time of worship. It was a, it was a war. And I wish I could say that was the only thing I ever saw. I didn't. And so we were a mess. And um, a few years later, in 1977, this pastor came to our door. We were living in Garrett, Indiana, and knocked on the door. <laughs> and he had a Bible and a film strip projector and a screen under his arm. And that was, again, that was in the 70s when you said, hey, come on in, <laughs> kids, a movie, you know. And so he set up this film strip projector and, and pulled out his big Bible and he shared the gospel with my family. Uh, first time we ever heard it clearly. And my dad and my stepmom and myself, we responded in faith. And uh, that next Sunday, we were all baptized into Christ. We were baptized together. And, and my dad died a few years ago, but I'll never forget the contrast between my dad late in life and my dad early in life because here's my dad. My stepmom's now an invalid, and he's wheeling her around in a wheelchair, and he picks her up. And he takes her to the bathroom, and he bathes her, and he cares for her, and he loves her, and she loves him. And like Bill Cosby, I'm saying, these are not the same people I grew up with. <laughs> They're old now. They're trying to get into heaven. That was Bill Cosby's line. But, uh, and he's not quoted much these days. But nonetheless, um, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was the after. That was the after Christ since Jesus came into my heart moment. And, and that's when, even way before that, when, when there used to be fights and battles, I remember my dad sitting at night and reading his Bible. We didn't have a television. And so he would sit at night and read his Bible, and then he'd talk to us kids about what he was learning. And I saw God change their hearts and their lives. And that's when I knew the gospel was real. And, uh, and you know, it was right then, too, very early on when I was 13 years old, I came to faith in Christ and almost right away, I decided I'm going to be a preacher. And I didn't understand what that meant. And I didn't really even understand my calling clearly. I just knew that if God could do that kind of change in people's life, then that, that's, the, that's the team I kind of wanted to be on. And so I, I decided. Now, it was also a little bit of the, 
the theology that we grew up under. Um, it was kind of an Armenian, kind of a didn't believe in security. In fact, they even taught against security. So uh, I was always on a very formulaic approach in my faith in Christ. Uh, salvation was a formula, and the way you stayed saved is by staying holy and staying good and keep doing good things. And, and I remember even as a 14-year-old thinking, you know, if I don't give my life completely to this thing, it isn't going to work for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lose it. And uh, I was still, it took years, 12 years later, I finally came to understand that I was saved by grace. But up to that point in time, I always thought God was going to veto me. Yep. Do you, ever, do you ever feel that way? That, maybe, that Jesus, you know, it's kind of like when you bring your friends home and your mom's saying, he is not spending the night. <laughs> Get that boy out of here. You know, it's kind of like, that's how I always felt. God, Jesus was going to drag me into heaven and God was going to say, no, son, I know all about this guy. He's, no, and, he, and kind of whisk him away. And, and so when I finally came to understand that, that God did save me by his grace and that I didn't deserve to go to heaven, um, that's when I really fell in love with the Lord all over again. The first time because he died for, for me and, and saved me and gave me what I viewed as God's great big second chance. But the, the second time I fell in love with him was when I realized I didn't deserve a single thing and he still saved me. And, and it's what this verse says here. If you're in 2 Corinthians 4, i got to read a verse and then go back to telling stories again. But here's the verse that says, um, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I'm not sure if you've arrived there yet. I pray you do. I want you to meditate on this verse until you get there. But you need to recognize, you need to be confident in God's decision to use you. You need to be comfortable in your skin even when you would say, you know what, I'm kind of messed up. Well, Paul said that. We have this treasure in what? Jars of what? Clay. There's cracks. It's imperfection. There's bumps. There's bruises. There's warts. But it was God who, in your brokenness, in your messed up self, it was God who said, let light shine out of there. And I'm convinced now that the reason God uses us when we're messed up is because that's when it's most effective. Because then people look at us and they don't go, wow, he is an effective worship leader because he is prepared and he comes ready. And no, he, he walked in the door and then remembered he was supposed to be doing something. You know, And I like that. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great object lesson for us all? God uses crackpots. Uh <laughs> But yet, I wouldn't trade the worship experience we had today for the, the, the nicest band in, in all the town, you know. Because God uses us in our weakness. And God has, by His grace, used me. I have, um, I went to a, in 1981, we, we actually had moved back here to Montana and, and we lived over in Immigrant Montana and I went to high school. What little bit I was in high school, uh, I went to Livingston High School. My family was lumberjacks, and so uh, my great-grandparents were loggers, and so when we got here to Montana, we came out to log. And so I started working in the woods. And even though I was going to be a preacher, 
I decided that I liked working in the woods a whole lot more than going to school. And so I, I am a uh, twice dropped out high school dropout kid that uh, the first time I dropped out, it was a little too early. I was only 15 in Montana. You have to be 16 in order to drop out. And so my mom found out and she turned us in. And uh, the, the judge called my dad up and I got to meet the truant officer. And, uh, and he said, you're going to be in school on Monday. And so I ended up going to Project 70, uh, 71 and in Livingston, Montana, was a program for high school dropouts, pregnant teenagers, your regular riffraff, you know. And I, and I was right there with them. Uh, this was in the 70s. So we had a smoking and a non-smoking room in school. And I'm not going to tell you which room I was in. I had to, was in both occasionally. But at any rate, you know, uh, it's, it's so, uh, so I was in, and I, wasn't, I was in for just a little bit longer, and then the recession hit in 78, and Dad asked if I would drop out again. Uh, to help the family work. You couldn't work in the woods alone. And so I did. And so I ended up taking a GED right here in Bozeman, Montana. And then I went to a small Bible college that was smaller than this one. Our, our, our peak, the students we had were 30 students. That was when we had this many. And so I uh, went there for four years. Uh, I had 104 hours and the school closed down. Not my fault. <laughs> I, I was just there. And uh, so... So then I was faced with this dilemma. I, I had gone and prepared to become this preacher, this pastor, because I wanted to give my life to the place that, that was the first place my family experienced unconditional love. And I wanted to give my whole being to the church. And so, but then I had this associate's degree. And guess how many churches will hire you when you have an associate's degree? Let's just say not very many. And uh, it wasn't until the grace of God... And one of my former professors uh, had taken a job in Tampa, Florida, and they needed a Bible teacher for the Christian school. And so he said, I know a guy uh, that can do this. And so they called me, and I went to Tampa. I was there for four years and had a great, great ministry. And four years is long enough to live in Florida. Okay, Florida has two seasons, summer and next summer. And uh, I, I just didn't like the lack of change. and But... I loved the work there, and it was there that God continued to shape me and mold me. He put me with a pastor that believed God was able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that you can ask, think, or imagine. And that guy believed it and lived it, and I learned to preach from him. He also was a, a man of the Word. He was the first pastor I ever had that taught verse by verse through books of the Bible, and it was a life change for me and my, and my faith. And he trained me how to be a pastor. Um, I then went to, uh, they actually kind of came to me and they said, uh, Jay, we need you to, we, we think God's calling you to be a senior pastor, so you need to go find a church. I thought they were firing me. I was really, what did I do? They're like, no, 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 you're fine. We, everybody likes you here. I was a youth pastor and I taught at the Christian school. But they said, um, they said, you know, we, we think God's called you to be a preacher. And so, so I listened to them and I started looking for a church. There was this little tiny church in Plains, Kansas that was calling me. But I wanted a church, not an opportunity, if you understand what I meant. <laughs> there was a little tiny church of 24 people. And I, I didn't really want to go because the other thing that I mentioned, it was in Plains, Kansas. Does anybody know where Plains, Kansas is? I'd be amazed if somebody did. It's southwest of Dodge City, 50 miles. It's right in the middle of the best fishing in the country. 300 miles in any direction, and you've got great fishing. But you know, it was a joke. There was no water there. It was Plains, Kansas, okay? It was, uh, 
Is it one of those deals? But you go there and guess what? That was, that was where God trained me and taught me how to be a preacher and how to not just to prepare sermons, but to care for people. And the church grew. We actually, we actually doubled in size in about 14 months. And then I had an opportunity to go to Siloam Springs, Arkansas. And, uh, and I went there. Does anybody know John Brown University? Some of you do. Yeah, that's where I, that was the town where I went. And by the grace of God, I served there in the church for 20 years. 20 years. Went November of 91 and served there until November of 2011. And uh, had a great ministry. Um, God, uh, and, and here's what I want to say. that The church, when I went there, was about 70 folks. And at our peak, we hit 758. That was our peak attendance. And we were running around six, 700. And it was a great ministry. And while I was there, I earned a bachelor's degree at JBU, and then I continued on a few years later and earned my master's degree from JBU as well. And I'm still an adjunct instructor in their MBA program. I teach ethics and Christian foundations and sometimes New Testament survey. And I just, I tell you, I just want to say God has used me in ways that were beyond what I would have ever imagined when I was your age and leaving to go to Bible college in Artesia, New Mexico. I just, I just am amazed that God, because that whole time I was still messed up. I still carried the baggage from my uh, broken childhood. I did get married there. I've been married for 30 years. Happily, I think we say 22. You know, uh, you know we, we, we really struggled a lot. It, it was really, it's a challenge. You realize, did anybody notice that Opposites attract. Yeah, you think that's cool now. Wait till you're married. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you. You know, I'm a morning guy. I wake up and I look. I leaned over. Good morning, honey. And she leaned up and she said, "I'm not ready to talk to you right now." <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> lay down. <laughs> and then, you know, they, I mean, we were married 20 years, and she's still at night. She at night. I'm. When the sun goes down, that God put it down so you could go to sleep. Okay? I have creation on my side. And, and she says, honey, why does God want us to do? And, and I don't even remember the question. I, I lean over on her and I said, hon, I'm pretty sure God doesn't want us to talk about this right now. <laughs> Let's just go to sleep. <laughs> you know, so, but it was very, very 30 years. Uh, and I love my wife deeply, and you have to. You have to. Because if God's going to use you, you have to love your spouse. Here's something for you minister candidates. When you go into the ministry, if you lose your family, you've lost your ministry. So you love your wife, you love your husband deeply, sacrificially, just as Christ did the church. And then he's going to send along this blessing called children, and I had four of them. And I think God puts children in our lives to show us what he goes through. You know, because here's this thing that you created in your own image, and, and it looks up at you when it's two and it says, no. You know, you know. <laughs> and some of them you can knock it out of them. <laughs> but not all of them. <laughs> we thought our second was strong-willed until we had the third one, Kaylee. Oh, my gosh. I beat that kid every day of her life. <laughs> until she was probably 10 years old. And even when she was a teenager, she'd have these flashbacks. You know, we didn't allow kids to backtalk us in our home. We just didn't allow it. 
And and so they knew they weren't. And roll your eyes, I'll roll your. You know, I mean, just no nonverbal communication either. No slamming doors. No slide. And and so one time I said, Kaylee, jump up and do the dish. She walked by us, her mom and I, and and she said, Is my name easier to pronounce than these other girls? You know. <laughs> and we're like, Hey, hey, that's that's over the line, but that's pretty good. You know. <laughs> so, so we laughed. And uh, she regretted it because later on we were like. Kayla, your name's easy to pronounce. Jump up and do these things. <laughs> oh, we had a lot of fun. She, she was one that, when you, when you raise these kids, you need to think carefully about what you tell them. I told Kaylee when her older sister, when her young sister went to school with her, we said, Kaylee, you got to watch her and you got to protect her. And you're the big sister now. And, you, and so never, I, you know, hindsight being 2020, I should have rephrased some of those things because the next thing you know, I'm getting a phone call from the very upset administrator saying, we just cannot have this type of behavior. I said, well, time out. What type of behavior are we talking about? Kaylee struck a boy in the bus and uh, knocked him down. I was like, he was seventh grade. She was second grade. Uh, and, and he was sitting in the bus seat and made it perfect, right, you know, right cross. And she put him under the aisle, you know, and, uh, and I'm like, well, she normally doesn't strike people unprovoked. Well, he didn't say anything to her, but, but he did say uh, he made Jessica cry. And so she walked over and clocked him out. So you need to, you, you need to talk to your daughter. And so I said, hun, next time you jab, with, you lead with the left. And then you, you know, I know it was... Uh, Life is going to be fun. Life is going to send you wonderful kids named Kaylee. Uh, life is going to send you challenges of, of sickness and, and struggle. And you know what? It, it, it's going to look like this. Um, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Can I pray for you? Father, I'm always amazed that you use any of us. (laughs) Look around this room. This is a wonderful collection of really odd people. We all have bumps and bruises and cracks and flaws. And yet you clean us up. You use us. It was you who chose us and you caused light to shine from darkness, from disorder and chaos. You bring order and and power and goodness and love and grace. And somehow, Father... Folks are able to see you through us and they're able to see the glory of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so I'm in awe. I'm amazed by your grace. But I'm so grateful that you use us. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving my family. Thank you for using me as as your messenger of grace and and I thank you now, especially for all these kids. And I I pray they would forgive me for calling them kids, but I've got kids their age. So these young people, Father, I just I just pray that as Philippians says, you would you would cause them to shine like stars in the universe. That as they go forth from this place that thirty years from now, 
we'll be listening to great stories. Stories of your love, of your grace, of your transformation. This I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,